yes, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another brand new Rugby Muscle podcast. I'm your host, as always, TJ. We ain't going to fuck around here. We're going to get straight into this episode because uh, Sean Sell, my man, upside strength here, we have a really good conversation. He, this guy is super knowledgeable, um, super well thought, and yeah, not knowledgeable because of like this huge years of experience, but knowledgeable because he's a smart dude and he's applying himself in the exact right way. And this is the sort of strength and conditioning coach we need to hear from, uh, especially here on the Rugby Muscle Podcast for you amateurs, but what Rugby needs to hear in general. Now, before I get into this one, let's give a quick shout out to another five-star review. This one is from little 6 d 6 v 6 l whoever that is he says highly recommended a great podcast around rugby and performance with a fresh forward thinking outlook on preparation thank you so much that is exactly what we're trying to do here at the rugby muscle podcast hit me up tj underscore rugby on instagram or just tj at rugby dash muscle.com in the emails I said I wasn't going to fluff around here, so let's get straight into this episode. I don't know what number it is. Let's get straight into it. Yeah, exactly. I'm based in Nyon, Switzerland, which is about 20 minutes out of Geneva, which is right on the French border. Okay. And the club is, and you club, you coach at Nyon, right? Yes, I'm, I'm physical prep for the Nyon club. I also work pretty closely with the Swiss Rugby Federation, not at the senior level yet. I'm For now, I'm taking care of the academy level, so U16 through U20. I'm taking care of their physical prep as well for the different levels uh, and slowly making my way up to the top there. Nice. That's awesome, dude. Um, have you been in base in Switzerland all your life? So I grew up here. I was born and raised here in Nyon. Uh, so it's it's my hometown. It's home for me. I moved to Canada when I was 22, and I played a bit of rugby there with the Burnaby Lake Rugby Club. For those who know the place, mm-hmm. and that's where that's actually that's actually where I met my wife, and uh, we had a son together. And we actually came back here to Switzerland a year and a half ago now. Nice. Um, I tell you what, this is uh, I'm already recording. Uh, it, I, it records the Zoom straight away, so. I'm just yeah. going to carry on going from here because this is great. Um, so I want to, yeah, I want to find out more information about this. So coming back to Switzerland and coaching rugby, it's like, uh, how long have you been doing that for now then? Uh, it's been, I guess it's been a year here. I did help the, the Burnaby Lake Rugby Club. So when I was in Canada, I was not a coach yet. Um, uh-huh. I started out, I was, a, I did some pipe fitting. I did a pipe fitting school in Canada then I did an apprenticeship in um, uh, residential painting, actually. Ooh. And in parallel to that, I was training quite a bit. I found CrossFit. At first, through CrossFit, I found Olympic weightlifting, which I competed in for a couple of years in British Columbia. And I was you know, studying all day, reading books. I remember hauling the, what was it, the um, science and practice of uh, strength training. Oh, yes. Yeah, That's yeah. your key, I believe. Mm-hmm. And... I was just hauling that on the bus to work and listening to podcasts all day. And at some point, my wife, Lynn, thanks to her, she said, um, Sean, you should start to get paid for all the work that you're doing on the side. And I thought, you know what? That's not a bad idea. I could, I could see myself doing that. So I quit my job. I bought the book, challenged the test, and got my certification as a personal trainer to begin with. And uh, so I started doing this in Canada, run my company for three, four, five years there. And, and towards the, the, the end of the five years there, before moving here, I started working a little bit more in physical preparation for sports and, and rugby with the, the club I mentioned before. And mm-hmm. when I came back here, uh, so back home to Switzerland, that's where I really started to, to be heavily involved in rugby preparation. That's awesome. Yeah, I think... As you come into it, like fairly, you know, fairly new to the the actual rugby strength and conditioning game, it's interesting because you can see a lot of the gaps. I think that there are actually in mm. with personal training in general. Like mm. you think, oh, there's no way I know enough, you know, to to help other people. I just study it myself. And what you realize is actually you end up knowing a lot more than people that are giving out the information because they just spout out the same old information time and time again. Yeah, yeah, it's an interesting perspective, I think. And I, I definitely agree with you in the sense that I didn't come up through the regular get your bachelor's or get your master's in exercise science or physiology, all those things. 
Um, so I'm, I guess I'm lacking some of the, the common knowledge of the field, but I do see it as a, as a positive in some ways. Like you said, I, I didn't come in with the good old, good old, this is what we do. This is how we've always done it. Uh, for example, here in Switzerland, they were used to doing the, um, the yo-yo test and then yeah. running, running the, some mass protocols with the guys. And so I came in, I, I honestly, I didn't even know how to run a yo-yo test. Um, I knew you had to find a soundtrack somewhere, but <laughs> yeah. I mean, coming from, you know, that almost neutral perspective and learning from guys like Kirwan and Flat and others in the field that have been really influential for me. Um, I came in with like, okay, what's the simplest thing that I can do? So that's a half Cooper test, a six minute continuous test. Yeah. What info does that give me? How to make my groups? And then I started using tempo runs, which was completely foreign to people here at first. And at first they were like, what the, can I curse on your podcast or not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can say cool. what the fuck I, you want. <laughs> good. Because they said, what the fuck are you doing, Sean? And uh, <laughs> they were like, this looks nothing like what we've done before. And I was like, uh, okay, well, well, we'll do it and we'll see what happens. Turned out the guys felt really good on the pitch playing the sport, which is all that matters to me at the end of the day, regardless of what protocols we use. Um, and so we've kind of carried that quote unquote tradition on now that we're still using that kind of framework to work from. But again, I, I, I don't have much of the, the, the previous, the baggage maybe that some people come in with where they're like, no, no, you have to do a yo-yo or you have to do a Bronco because now Bronco is the shit and, and rugby, right? Everybody's got to do a Bronco. And I mean, what's the point of a Bronco? And now I even see some people using Broncos for conditioning when it's actually supposed to be a test. So there's a lot of things I still don't understand. But I, I do think that coming from that kind of neutral standpoint helps in some regards. Yeah, it's like the, um, <clears throat> I think it's the Elon Musk, I can't remember what the name of the philosophy it is that he says he uses. But essentially, you start everything from zero. Like you don't, yeah. you, you get rid of all of the old information. And, and so the, uh, the only things that are left are what actually really uh, hold up, you know, with actual logic. So you, you, you immediately like, well, why are we doing a Bronco? Well, because everyone else is doing it. Well, no, okay, but why actually are you doing a Bronco? What does it prove? And then you realize, well, you kind of change direction a little bit, maybe, and you run. But outside of that, like the amount of people I've got, I, you know, I've actually got a few people that I coach that um, that, are, that have a Bronco for their preseason testing. Uh -huh. So I'm like, well, we can spend maybe a week just getting you ready for it. But I'm not interested in that. Like, if you don't do as good on the Bronco, but you're a much better player. What do I what do I want? <laughs> I want you to be a better player. It's not a very good measurement, but it's it's almost like the same way. You see it a lot with the NFL, you know, the, the NFL combine. Yeah. Like as much as it's like it is about getting that pay, the paycheck and, and for a lot of guys it can make or break their career. But does it really prove how good you are at football? <laughs> like not really. And you see it a lot. Yeah, so that's awesome. Um so how did the guys take to doing the because tempos is a different, a difficult one as well. I find because it's kind of easy, and people expect to, especially like week one, day one, where you're <laughs> tr really trying to keep it aerobic. And people are yeah. like, "Well, hold on, we're you're supposed to be trashing us. What's going on here?" <laughs> yeah, it's it's quite. I think the main thing is just culture that we have to go against in that aspect of things, mm -hmm. because like you said, they're just used to getting you know kicked in the face on day one. And that's what they expect prep has to be. You know, there is no, like you said, starting from a blank slate, I think is a very interesting way of doing things because you come in, you're like, okay, the guys have been, especially now, like the guys have been through COVID. So sure, some of them stayed fit. Some of them did their thing. Most of them didn't do anything. And now you have, especially at, I mean, the level that I play at, we're amateur players. We train twice a week. You can't expect the world out of the guys, especially when they're off and they actually get to <laughs> enjoy some time off at home. So, you know, all more 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 power to them to actually take that time to 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 do other things but then you mm -hmm. come back and you have to get them back into shape and so when do they have to get ready okay seven weeks from now okay where are we now we're seven weeks out from the first game so what shape are they in they're in they're in terrible shape so what's the first training going to look like well it should be a lot less hard than the last training of those seven weeks and if you think about it like that, it makes you know total sense. You can kind of draw a line that's somewhat linear in terms of progression, and your preseason should pretty much look like that. So at the very start, like you said, first session is almost uncomfortable for the coach that's putting it in place because 
like, okay, it's going to be so easy that they're going to look at you and be like, okay, what are we doing something after? Like what's, what's the deal? Was that the warm up? Um, but I think communication is very, very important at that point to actually get the guys to understand why you're doing something. Um, so what I actually did this year is before the preseason started, I put together a little quick, you know, PowerPoint presentation for the guys. I filmed it. I sent it to everybody. So it's on video. It's on my YouTube channel and the guys can look through it. And I kind of explained my reasoning behind why I integrated some of the elements into the preseason, why I progressed it that way. And then I did a Q&A session with the guys where they could come in and ask me all the questions they wanted. So the result of that was that on day one of the prep, the guys had the program because I'd printed it out and put it in the changing room. So they had no excuse as to like, where do we meet? What do we do after this, mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. And at the same time, they were all bought into the program already because they heard the why behind it and they understood it. And those that didn't ask the questions and now that we're just, you know, ready to do the work. So that was something that I did this year that I didn't do last year, the, the explaining part. And I think that that makes, that made a huge difference. Yeah, that's, that's actually really, that's a, such a good point. And we, and we have a, a number of coaches listen to this, but we also just get a lot of players and it is, you know, just the players that listen to this, like the education that you, you get, like really does help your motivation. And we see it as coaches, right? So the more you can educate, like, Sometimes you're like, oh, I don't want to learn. I just want to do, give me a workout, whatever. But that sort of kills your motivation because then you can always sort of question why you're doing it. Like, what's the point? It's a lot easier to give up when you're not sure why you're doing something or, or you know, phone in the effort. Whereas if you know exactly what you're doing, you've got that uh, real long-term vision of why you're doing it, you can actually really crush the, uh, every single workout at least or at least, you know, not quit too early or anything like that and you buy into it put put a lot of effort in so i think that's that's huge and it reminds me of someone uh that i've been coaching as well again that we we did a lot of aerobic work over uh covid mm. and we hadn't been in contact like he i don't know he just dropped off the the contact for for like a, about six weeks whilst he was doing all of that work and then he came back and he was like okay now i need to do some hard things I'm like, why do you need to do some hard things? Have you got fitter? And he's like, yeah. Um, he's like, I'm like, well, then what's the point of doing the hard things if you're already getting better and you, you know, you're not crushing your system and you've got enough left in the tank to do the other strength work and stuff? And he's like, uh, yeah, okay, I guess you get, get your point. <laughs> but without me explaining that to him, it's like, well, I see everyone else doing Broncos and CrossFit people doing crazy workouts or like, you know, a lot of the people that are in great shape do the crazy workouts and you're like, yeah that maybe they're doing the workouts because they're already in great shape and they get to do that. You know, it's especially when we're dealing with amateur people, I think that there's a, there's a real base of conditioning that we need to hit first before we even have to worry about any of that stuff. Um, yeah, I, I think you're right. You agree. Yeah, I, I do. I do. I think, I mean, I, I like working from both ends. So actually, yes, you need the conditioning and it needs to start, with the low volume, with the low intensity, and it needs to be easy at first. But at the other, nothing goes, I mean, just because you do that doesn't mean you can't work on your speed at the same time. You know, pure speed, we're talking short, like 10, maybe 20 meters, um, especially at the, I mean, after COVID, you want to restart that slowly. So what we did is started up on a hill. So did hill sprints because it automatically reduces the top speed that you can reach. It's easier on the hamstrings and the hips. Yes. and so actually starting and even maybe, you know, I did that with my guys right from the start. And I told them like the first session, there was not a single sprint that was a hundred percent effort. And I told them at the beginning, multiple times, like we're getting into it. I think we did five times, 10 meters and five times, 20 meters on the hill the first day. Uh -huh. Um, and it wasn't the first, first day of training. I'd given them like a pre preseason plan. Like they had done some running. It wasn't like from the couch to this, um, but the guys were in decent shape. And I told them like, guys, if you feel like you're not a hundred percent, you're not running that full out. And I'll repeat. And I looked at them all in the eye and I told them three times in a row until they really listened. And you know, we're three weeks in now and knock on wood, but there's no injuries. Um, but I mean, for maybe for a team that would be even, you know, a slightly lower level or lower level of preparation from a physical standpoint, you might start your quote unquote speed work with just power speed drills. 
you know, yeah. running drills like ankle hops and a marches and a runs and, and, and zigzag bounds and stuff like that. And if you progress that, the next logical step is the hill. The next logical step is the flat and then it's fly and nothing goes against you working on your base conditioning while working on your speed at the other end of the spectrum. Uh, again, keeping it short, making the rest long, keeping the work intense. And I find that, you know, as the preseason goes on, then those two kind of merge towards the middle, the middle being, you know, where rugby is going to happen because it's a mix of everything. Um, but if you, I find that for the physical prep, if you start at those kind of extremes, so the conditioning, low intensity aerobic work on one side, and then the pure speed, pure sprint work on the other side, and you slowly work your way back to the middle, usually it works quite well. Funny you say that because that's that's my exact approach. Like you want to spend time on both ends of the spectrum, not not in the middle. In the middle, it's like you 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 know you don't get the benefit of being at either end of the spectrum. And that kind of the more I think about it, the the more that applies to everything in life. You want your yin and you want your yang, but you don't want both at the same time because that's just going to give you like a, a mixture of signals. I was, I think of that with like nutrition. Like when you're doing a, 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 a mass gain or a cut, like that, you know, that's those both are going to be far more beneficial to most people than trying to recomp. And mm-hmm. people don't want to hear that, but that's no. the same thing. And the same thing with conditioning. It's like you, you, you want to be on the, you either want to be on the high end where you can really work intense, but you're resting enough so that work is quality, uh-huh. or you want to be on the low end. Where you know you'll get you're you're low enough intensity so that you can get enough volume in that you can really make some alterations to your aerobic system and that's awesome and I I also really like what you outlaid about the sprinting on the doing the hill sprints mm-hmm. I think that's great because you can really push it on the hill but you're going to get nowhere near the speed and nowhere near the uh, the like risk of hamstring injury I don't think as you would do if you just have guys sprinting on a flat but you know, at, at least that gets them going. But mm-hmm. yeah, top end speed work. It's something that I, well, I'm getting a lot of my guys to do just bounds and hops at the minute, but just at a low mm-hmm. level because mm-hmm. same thing, right? You know, we've, we've had um, weeks here of COVID where we, we've done conditioning, but we're not prepared to sprint and do, because we're going from doing, especially with you guys, if you've got guys that are just coming, um, because we might have a lot of people listen to this that have just been doing nothing during COVID because they've been in lockdown. And now they're listening to this. They're like, crap, what have I got to do to get conditioned? And, and you've got to be kind to yourself and you've got to understand that you're, you've got, you're, you've got to figure out a way to go from doing nothing to doing a game where you've got a hundred kilo blokes running into you as hard as they can uh, for 80 minutes. And it's a, it's yeah. a real difficult demand, you know? It is. And, uh, but bridging that gap for us is, it's fun, I find, for sure. So, um, how is the uh, the culture in general before you, either before you came in to Neon, or uh, you know, as part of your you know experience anyway? Because is it a bit more of a the the French influence where strength and conditioning is a little bit more on the back burner compared to especially like your English and your American clubs? Um, it's an interesting question. I think. There's a big, I find, uh, if, we, if we look at the, uh, was it the co, the four co-active factors, is it? I don't want to butcher that. Uh, Fergus Connolly talks about it. In, in terms of sports preparation, you got your, your physical, your technical, your tactical, and your oh, psychological yeah. mm-hmm. aspects of preparation. And so if, if I were to look over the four, um, I would say that we are very oriented on the tactical side of things here in Switzerland. We uh-huh. like you know, complicated move, <laughs> complicated lineups. Stereotype. Outs. Yeah, but I, I do feel like that's the <laughs> yeah, case. Here. Yeah, and stereotypes exist for a reason, mate. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And you know, I, I was lucky to, to speak to uh, Hugo uh, Scaloni, who is a professional rugby player and uh, um, a physio as well, and he worked in the in the in the cup, what is it? The cup under the super 14 in, uh, or super 15 down in New Zealand uh, a couple the, years back. Yeah. The ITM. And he was saying that there, there's a huge emphasis on technical proficiency and actually very little emphasis on tactical moves. Right. So the guys can just, you know, yep. ball in hand, they can do anything that they want, 
but they don't have a like a panel of like 10 or 20 different moves that they're going to do because they have so much you know rugby in them so to speak so they don't need those crazy tactical moves they just need to you know see what's in front of them and then they have the the handling skills to then apply that uh, so I feel like we're probably lacking in that department a little bit from the technical side. Uh, bear in mind, I'm not a rugby coach. So everything that I'm saying is from the perspective of me as a physical prep coach. Yeah. Uh, so I'm obviously biased in what I, what I see, yeah. but yeah, I, I do think we could benefit from having more technical work done at the rugby level. And then the, the, the physical side of things, the culture coming in was very much of the beat yourself into the ground for an hour and a half and then do it again for 30 more minutes. And that's your two hour session at, in the preseason. And um, I, I don't want to talk about the, the, the guy that was there before me because I wasn't there to see what he was doing. But from what I heard, it was a lot of uh, CrossFit-esque uh, work where you're flipping tires and you're, you're doing things like that for extended periods of time. None. I mean, again, I, I don't like talking about things that I wasn't there to witness, but it sounded like there wasn't a ton of structure to them, or at least there wasn't a, uh, an end goal in mind, if you will. Mm. Um, so very just, yeah, just run to run until it hurts and then do that other thing until it hurts more. And then you're, you're pretty much done after that. Uh, which, which again, I'm trying to change in terms of, like you said, the culture of the club and just seeing that, Hey, and, and I'll, I'll borrow uh, um, I'll borrow that from Kier, who said, you know, if you if you can pay ten grand for a car, but you end up paying thirty, you're a moron, <laughs> right? And yeah. in training, yeah. it's the same thing. Like if we can do if we can get what we want out of the training with one set, why are we doing three? Yeah, you know. So yeah, I think trying to get the guys to see that hey, yes, physical is important, and yes, we're spending a lot of time on it now because they know that then it does it can bring an edge on the on the field especially towards the end of the game. Um, but at the end of the day, that's not going to pay the bills on the, on the field, right? You need to play rugby. You need to be good at your sport. And so trying to reframe that and be like, yes, we're going to work hard, but try to work as smart as we can on the physical side so we don't completely burn you out and injure you um, so that you can then go and you know enjoy your sport and be better at your sport. Yeah, that's – dude, that's oh. – all you're talking right there is all my language. I, I love it. I love hearing that. And it's something that I've really, like the amount of times I try and emphasize, like the, the biggest mistake I see a lot of people make, especially like if you're someone that's, you know, into your fitness and you, you know, you're listening to this podcast and you're finding out extra information about like how to get into the best shape for rugby. You're someone that wants to work hard. Like you're someone that wants to put in the work and really, and, and more often than not, like, most of these people do too much because they don't want to leave a stone unturned. They want to be in the best shape. They want to do everything they can to make sure that they're in the best shape. But more often than not, that requires more of a long-term approach than it does a, you know, do everything right now that I can. Because I've done that, you know. I've, I've done it where I've tried to program myself um, three, like, you know, probably from an influence from CrossFit. I think I watched that Rich Fronin documentary. So he worked out like seven times a day. And I was like, okay, <laughs> I'm just going to start at four or <laughs> three. I'm going to be a bitch and start at three. I couldn't even last two weeks. And, and did I get yeah. any better? Probably not. Like <laughs> I didn't have enough time to make any adaptations. Whereas the best stuff I've ever seen from people is where you strip everything unnecessary away, everything. And you start, the, the like you said, the least amount possible to get the result that you want. Mm. Um, and I think even then, from then, you can dial that back and because most people don't really know what they want. So, like, to your point that you said about, like, other, like, strength and conditioning programs where there just doesn't seem to be an end goal. They, the end goal seems to be um, work for work's sake, right? I'm here to mm-hmm. make you work really hard. And, and then you mm-hmm. can justify that as, oh, we're doing mental toughness. But what does that mean, you know? Like, it, it does, it frustrates me too, like, when you see a lot of that. Hi guys, I just wanted to jump in here to tell you that if you're enjoying this podcast and you want to become a better athlete, then you can go ahead and visit rugby-muscle.com and pick up any of our free goodies. That is uh, the 50 free rugby conditioning sessions, the physique nutrition crash course video series, the supplement guide, and newly added is a macro calculator. Yes, that's right, a macro calculator where you will be able to 
work out your protein, carbs, fat and calories that you should be eating on a daily basis to give you a guide as to where to start your diet from. This will help in conjunction with your 53 conditioning sessions to build you out a decent little plan that will enable you to take control of your training and use effective training and nutrition to become a better athlete. All that stuff and more can be found at rugby-muscle.com or rugby-muscle.com forward slash macros for the macro breakdown. Anyway, um, so you said about doing like the minimum amount with you guys. So does that, that sounds like you're going to um, take a good influence of the one times 20 method? So I'm, I'm actually interesting you, you, you bring that up. I'm implementing that in the gym with, but actually not with our senior team because um, we currently don't have access to a gym with our senior team. Um, we have access to the gym at the, at the beautiful sports facility that we have here in Neil, uh, but on, on the same nights uh, that the, the guys are training. So Tuesday and Thursday, oh. 7 to 8.30, 9 is rugby. And then we have the gym from like 8 to 9.30, those same nights. Um, oh. So what I'm actually doing now, we're not going to the gym with the boys, but I'm going to the gym after I'm done with the, the senior teams and um, giving a shot to uh, the women's team and all the juniors and also the old folks to come in and actually have a little bit of structure around strength work. And I am actually using the one by 20 um, mm. so that I'm trying to, I'm trying, trying to give something that's easy to do first and foremost that the guys and the gals can do, whether it's at that little gym that we have or other days of the week, if they want to go more, you know, and, Gave the give them the the basic framework that hey you need to do your squat you need to do your bench press you need to do all those basic lifts but then you also don't need to spend two hours in the gym right because I think yeah I was I was talking about about that with um, just recorded a podcast before hopping on with you and the guests that I had we were talking about that and we we're trying to figure out where that came from this whole emphasis on strength 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 everybody's gonna be super strong and that's what matters and at the end of the day, like, sure, a prop needs to be strong. Guys in the, in the forwards need to be strong. Hell, backs need to be strong just for structural purposes, just to make sure that shoulders hold together, that, you know, when they get a knock, they're not going to be just completely destroyed. All those things are important and strength is important, right? Don't get me wrong. But then is absolute strength the thing that's going to be the deciding factor on the pitch itself? Almost never. Almost never. Uh, it's always going to be some combination of explosive power, whether it's for the upper body on a tackle or on a breakthrough, uh, breaking through a tackle or a step uh, to go around someone or speed to get past someone. I mean, that's the end of the spectrum that we're looking at to make the difference on the field. But there is such a huge emphasis on, no, no, you need your strength work. You need to do this. You need to do that. Yet people are afraid to talk about, you know, sprinting. Yeah. It's, it's, it's huge. And I think even just looking at like wrestlers, like good high level wrestlers that are 150 pounds or something, like you see that even when it comes to rucking, like just because you're strong doesn't mean shit. Like, or you see high level uh, premiership rugby players or, or whatever. And you see them rucking, even if even the little guys can still blitz someone out of a ruck or, or get over a ball and get a jackal, like strength, especially absolute strength really does bear nothing. And you're right. I, I, I guess it just comes from that mentality of bigger, faster, stronger, but like people forget the faster part and they just think, well, we're, I'm in the gym. So I'm here to work on bigger and stronger. That's all I need to do. And that just means load up the bench and uh, smash it <laughs> outside of that. I don't, yeah, you're right. I don't know where it comes from. It's um, I think I, I did see uh uh, Terence Kennel put a post up about it. Like, you know, it's just, it's part of the, the culture of rugby to just smash the weights. And I think maybe it's because it's a sort of person that's attracted to rugby is a sort of person that wants to lift heavy as well. Like I want to smash dudes and I want to lift heavy, but what does that, what does that really do? Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. I, I think um, what you said about it, not uh, the absolute strength really is it can't be emphasized more like yes we want to get stronger but like i think i think it was kia like a good few years back when he was with um he was working with the uh 
Sydney Roosters, and he worked with Sonny Bill. And he mm. said Sonny Bill matched out, maxed out on his bench press, and it was 100, 110 kilos, I think, maybe, like 240-odd pounds, if that. Yeah. And you're like, well, that guy's like the god of physical condition for rugby. And you're telling me now that he, he's, he's not even benching three plates? Like, get out of here. Like, but then he says the difference is, what does he do when he's got 100 on it? He's, he, that bar goes flying up. So, yeah, for sure. Um, have you had any with your one times 20 stuff have you have you had any resistance where people were like well hold on I'm used to being in the gym for an hour and a half how can you tell me now that I, I can just do this and that's going to get me like great results because that's where I've I've struggled to sell people on the one times 20 I've got a lot of people doing it and like well I feel like I can do more and I'm like yeah cool. I mean you can do more but what is that is that going to benefit you I don't know. Like, right. That's why you're paying me. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, well, so far the people that I've had in the gym, like I said, are not necessarily the senior team guys. Yeah. So uh, people so aren't normally gymming and stuff. Exactly. I've had a bunch of juniors. Like last night I had six juniors come up. That that was great. I mean, you 16 guys that really want to, you know, Beautiful. get better, get stronger. And same thing. Like you said, lots of questions. Ah, oh, but is that enough? Cause I see this and I want to do that. And I gave them their one by 20 and it's a very, very, very simple one. I think there's like 12 exercises or something like that. And a lot of them are like lateral raises, bicep curls mm -hmm. and stuff like that. At the end, they were like, Oh, can we do more? And I'm like, sure. You can pick, you know, three or four more exercises in the gym. We have a bunch of machines. So they did some like extensions and some leg curls and, um, and some, you know, chest flies on the machine or whatever, and they were happy. And I'm happy to, you know, give them that little bit more. But I, I, I guess it would be a little more challenging with the, if I were doing that with the senior guys. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess I would have to go again the, the the education route or the information route and share with them why we're we're doing it that way. You know, if sure you could do an hour and a half session in the gym, but what if you can get the same amount of strength out of your session in 45 minutes? And now you have 45 minutes to do, I don't know, what if you could do 15, 20 minutes of speed work and then maybe 20, 25 minutes of specific skill work that you need to do for your position on the field to get better. How is that going to change your rugby versus, oh, I put five more kilos on my squat, you know? Mm -hmm. Definitely. Um, that's, that's cool. So do you do any of the, like, are you handing out, gym programs for the senior guys as well that they're supposed to do in their own time or is that difficult with the restrictions and stuff that are in place or what, what um, even is the deal with restrictions in place where you're at right now yeah we're, we're pretty lucky in the sense that i feel like switzerland in general has managed the crisis really well and we're we're now we're down to i think huge events are still banned like thousand people and more you can't can't happen uh -huh. but Anything else is just you have to wear a mask if you go in a store or on public transport and wash your hands at the entrance mm -hmm. of every store and all that stuff. But besides this, there's not many restrictions in place at this point in time. Um, and so, sorry, I forget your initial question. Can you go again on that? Um, the, the gym program for oh, right, right, senior right. guys. Yeah, so I, I did put together, like I said, the one by 20. I put it together for the whole club so it's available for oh, okay. who wants to use it. And I actually work one-on-one -on -one with some of the guys, especially in the first team that want a bit more of a individualized tracking and coaching. So I do work with, with a handful of other guys in the first team. And at that point I write their program and they, most of them, you know, could use a bit more strength. So I'm not necessarily using that one by 20 approach with them. Um, but they're, they're also spending a bit more time in the gym during the week. And I, I do it at different times than training. Um, one by 20 is good cause you can get it, you know, done in 20, 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. uh, but if the guys go to the gym, I, I try to make it as, you know, uh, useful as possible from a general standpoint. So they're doing jumps, they're doing their warm up, then they're doing some jumps, a bit of plyos and then their strength work, and then maybe some conditioning afterwards if they need to. Um, but I'm not necessarily using the one by 20 with, with everyone all the time. It's, I think it's, it's a really good tool to use or a method to use, uh, especially with, beginners yeah and teaching them the, the 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 patience of the process of getting stronger i think that makes a lot of sense and again for people that want to maximize their returns um by not 
spending too much time in the gym. But going back to a previous point that you that you brought up, which I think is very relevant, the idea that part of the culture or the or the it's part of the the kind of people that rugby attracts people that, like you said, want to smash some weights and smash some people, <laughs> yeah. which is totally fair, and we have to work with that. And I think we had that uh, that conversation with one of my old bosses. And he couldn't understand people that go to the gym and, you know, become jacked and look at themselves in the mirror and all that stuff. And I was like, I think those people are, quote unquote, addicted to the gym. And if it wasn't the gym, it would be something else that might not be as good as the gym, you know? And it's just the personality of the people. And I think, like you said, you have to deal with that as well. You know, that's the kind of athletes that we're going to be working with within rugby. And so you have to take that into account. You can't just be like, no, you just have to change and you have to be like that. So I think us as coaches finding ways to make it work for uh, the players is the best way possible. And so sometimes it's about not necessarily doing exactly what you want them to do, but maybe finding some middle ground that you know they're happy, they get something out of it and you still get what you want out of it as a coach. Even more talk in my language there because that's like, you're so right. And it's something that... I think the more I've done this, that that's something that it's taken me a, a bit of time to learn. Is it like, look, I, you know, I, I know everything here. Okay, you don't know anything as a, as the athlete. Let me listen to me and let me do everything. But at the end of the day, that doesn't work. And we, like we said, that there's the education side of things um, that that can really help people buy into it. But more than that, it's like, what do they enjoy? Like what? What do they see there? Like especially if they can see their identity is that like I'm the, I'm the fast guy. Okay, so that means that we're going to do some extra speed work with you because that's what you enjoy and that's going to get you, into the gym in the first place and looking forward to your session and and things like that. I think like it's hard to put a um, like put a real good value on it, but there is definitely something there and especially even if guys are like, you know, writing out their own program, it's don't write it for yourself as if you're a robot that is going to have un- unwavering motivation no matter what week in, week out, day in, day out. I think it, that, like put, throwing some stuff in there just because you enjoy it. And like you said that you did with the, the youth guys and just said, look, oh, yeah, you can pick three exercises of whatever else you want to do. Like little things like that really do, I think, pay, pay a lot of um, dividends. But – it's difficult to put a value on it, especially like if you're only dealing with like the, the, the labs and the sciences and the, and stuff like that, I think. Yeah. And, and I, feel, I find that the more I move forward with coaching, the more I try to, as a coach, morph what I do around the player, or the client, right. It's, it's, it's more about, like you said, if we can include something in the program that they enjoy, they're more likely to do it not only today, but tomorrow and for the rest of their life. And that's, that's kind of the goal, right? Cause if they yeah. do it for two weeks perfectly and then they're like, fuck that shit, I'm not interested anymore. Cause that's not fun. Then you just lost, you just lost an opportunity to, to make a difference. You know, do you want you want to wear gloves in the gym or gloves in the gym? You want to do <laughs> leg press instead of a back squat, fucking leg press. Like yeah. at the end of the day, if, if we get the guys in the process of getting stronger itself, the process itself is the game right? We always think it's the end result that we're after. No, no. If we can teach the guys, whether it's directly or indirectly through the way that we work, that the, the way that they're going to win is by being disciplined, not just for a couple weeks on a great program, but for a year, for two years, for three years, that's how they're going to see progress. And just because they have a great eight-week program doesn't mean that they're going to be successful a year later, because guess what? There's a lot more weeks than eight in a year. Yeah. Yeah, it's really that's so funny because it is, it's the uh, it's the journey, like, mm-hmm. and I actually I've been doing some writing about this sort of thing because it is it's like the journey, um, like it never stops. It's not you know you, you don't get an eight week goal or even if you do the perfect, I mean you could do the perfect three month program or six month program even, but then it doesn't stop. Like you've still got to then maintain that or you've still got to perform and you've got to keep up those levels or what's more than likely is you want to keep increasing in other areas or, or even more so in the same areas. It never stops. And it's like, you know, I think once people wrap their heads around that, that, that is a real um, good way to sort of understand the, the patience that is necessary. Like if you want to do more, all right, you can do more, but like, let's think about doing more over the space of 
three years versus like like what's doing more this week really gonna like benefit you you know yeah especially with a, a sport like rugby where there's so many aspects of your you know physical preparation that you could be developing and like you yeah. said you you want to do everything all the time but then at what expense and is that moving the needle but do you, are you risking more injuries because of it so can that you know set you back like weeks maybe months depending on the the the, the gravity or the uh, how bad the injury is and all those things have to be you know considered and and taken into account but I'm with you. Like the process is, is the game, right? I'm, I realized that, uh, I was, I was competing in, um, indoor rowing for a little bit and I trained, I trained like nine months or yeah, it was like seven or eight months for that competition that I signed up for. It was my first competition and I did what I wanted to do. And then, and then what you get to the top of the mountain and you look around and like, fuck, there's like so many more mountains to climb and now I have to move. I can't just stand there on top of the mountain because yeah. now that mountain's going to vanish because now it's in the past. That competition doesn't exist anymore. It's, I, I won. It was yesterday, but now what, you know? <laughs> I realized how I was, I was literally like almost depressed for two weeks because yep. I'd spent so much time working towards that goal. And on, at the back end of it, I was like, okay, cool. I did it. Was it as incredible as i thought it would be no fuck no it was like it was almost anticlimactic it was like all right i'd planned on doing this and i did it and now it's done and now i don't know what to do with myself and and so actually from that point on i started realizing that you know it, it's it's finding the meaning in the process itself that matters more than the goal that you're aiming at still have to aim for something right otherwise yeah. you don't have direction you don't know where to go what to do but at the end of the day winning the thing, getting, you know, making the team, all those things is, is, is just a little piece of the overall thing that you're doing. Yeah. Oh, like there's so many full points I can touch on that. But when you said about the, the, the depression and the, like the amount of work like that, and it reminds me of, cause I've also competed in Olympic weightlifting. Mm -hmm. um, it was what I got into because I initially retired from rugby to open up my own gym um uh so i was like right what am i gonna, like what can I, I i know the amount of guys that i've seen that retired especially at a younger age um mm -hmm. all end up going back into rugby because they they can't find anything else to do so i'm like right i need another sport and uh, i was you know i was fairly i was all right at olympic weightlifting i, I knew i could clean 135 kilos I, I, i got up to like a 100 kilo snatch so nice. i was like right i'm gonna commit to this and see what yeah. i can do And I had a competition, I think it was like four, four or five, no, it must have been five or six months after I made that commitment, uh, maybe even longer. But I only added like 15 or so kilos to my total, which is actually quite a lot in that short space of time. But I was like, well, is, yeah. hold on, I'm, I've committed full time to this. I'm training six days a week, you know, two hours a day uh, towards this. And all I've added is, a few kilos on each lift like and this isn't this is, and then I, I you know i looked up and i look at like because i want you know my initial goals were like see if i could get into some sort of national level competition and all this stuff you know or enter a national level competition in the uk and i was like i'm so far off and the amount of work that i would need to do is so far away and i was like this is this is really depressing you know and especially because i was doing it in bahrain where I was the only one lifting, like I was the only one training this way. So I was really lonely. And I was like, right. This grind is like, you know, to say to, like people definitely overuse the word grind because what I was doing there and what I had to, you know, what the, the lay of the land that I saw for the, the years that were to come were, would have been a, just a huge grind. And, uh, luckily the gym fell through and I, I, uh, got back to rugby. <laughs> Yeah, that's funny. I experienced the same thing when I was competing in weightlifting. It was like, oh, you came, uh, I don't know, fourth in that competition. And granted, like, there was, it's not like it was a stacked, you know, competition. So I, right. I was able to somewhat place, but it didn't mean anything. It's not because I was good. Let's put it like that. But, and I looked at myself and I was like, okay, what's the difference between me and number one? Well, about eight years of weightlifting, you know, <laughs> yeah. that's, 
it's not it's not the kilos it's not the, the technique like it's it's literally eight years of dedicating yourself fully to a sport and i'm like eh, i don't have that in me i know that yeah, <laughs> so exactly I, 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 the same. exactly i did like i don't know i competed for a year and a half i think and then i kind of switched gears moved to something else but literally that's what dawned on me it's like those guys sure they're a lot stronger than me a lot more technical than me a lot faster than me but what stands between me and, and becoming that is just years and years and years of getting better at your craft and at your sport. And are you ready to do that? Or do you just want the, oh, the three-month program to, to, make, you know, to make you change completely as an athlete, which doesn't happen? Yeah. Um, it's funny because I, I, I placed in my competition. I got second. But the mm. only reason I got second was because uh, like there were like five other guys that were stronger than me, but they they weighed less, so they're in the lower <laughs> weight categories. I'm like, uh, this is I don't deserve this. Like, what's going on? Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, but um, I think where the difference is as well, though, with weightlifting is weightlifting is two lifts, and they're incredibly similar, right? So there's this really narrow spectrum of to where you can improve and how you can gain above you know, other people and other influences and uh, other influences, other influences and how you can like get better. Whereas rugby, as we've touched on already, like has this huge scope, like a massive scope of different areas that you can do. And even better, it's got a huge scope of areas that you can improve, but it's also got uh, opposition and competitors that have been doing things for wrong. I mean, wrong for so many years, I think because of, you know, it's it. I think rugby, when you think about it, is still fairly new in its professionalism. You know, it's mm-hmm. only twenty-five mm-hmm. years been a professional sport. Yeah. So a lot of the strength and conditioning ideals like are still fairly new, and they're not like we think that they. Everyone has got a little bit better, and everyone knows what tempo runs are. But you go to you know eight out of ten clubs, and they have no idea. They have no idea that rugby is even an aerobic sport. Um, you know what I mean? They think it's like, they just think CrossFit is the best way to do it or, uh, whatever really tough workouts they are, you know? So you realize that just because we're in our bubble, like there's so many people that are outside of the bubble. Like it's even with, uh, this COVID stuff, I'm like, Oh, you know, this has been great because everyone's been using this time to get so much fitter. And then everyone goes back to their team training and they realize, Oh no, most people haven't done this at all. Most people have, uh, like one guy, it's my favorite story. He, he got back to his training in Ireland and he was like, oh, uh, yeah, one player in my team learned what a deep frat fire I was during lockdown, whereas I knocked five minutes off my 5K time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, not everybody uses their time the same, huh? Yeah, but I mean, I know I touched on a million different things there, but I just think that that's the, the cool thing about rugby is the, different opportunities that you have to get better. And um, I think there's more room for that than so many other sports. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm 100% with you on that. Like you said, it's, uh, it's a pretty young sport from the professional standpoint. If we look at you know, performance sports in general, it's very, very, very young if we compare it to any other profession that we might have had for mm-hmm. hundreds of years. So there's still oh, yeah. so many things so many things to figure out the way to best run a club, you know, what culture you want within a club. Um, all those high performance settings that are starting to pop up everywhere, whether it's in football or, or even rugby with academies and all that stuff. Like we don't have, like we, we don't have the manual of like how to do it really, really, really well. It's like people are slowly figuring it out, but there's a lot of, you know, mistakes being done along the way. And like you said, there's not a whole lot of information that's widely available yet. For example, I was looking for data around, you know, time motion analysis at the amateur level that we evolve at, because obviously mm-hmm. we find, we find papers and research on the pro teams and that's easy, pretty easy to find because they all have GPSs and all that stuff. But what they're, you know, what they're faced with during the game is completely different than what we face at, at a, at a, at an amateur level here, especially in here in Switzerland. Right. If we look at, you know, I don't know, if we compare to France, if we count how many divisions there is between their top division and where we would be level-wise, there's one, two, three, four, five, six, maybe seven, right? Mm -hmm. So we're like 
pretty far down the food chain and there is no information as to what the game looks like at our level, right? Um, I, I actually just put my hands on a, on a GPS unit and my goal is to try and you know, see how it works, use it a little bit with some of the players and then see if some of the players on the team are interested in purchasing their own unit and then start to gather data around what we do here at our level to actually have some meaningful data to work from. Because like we said before, start from a blank slate, start from your sport, look at the demands of the sport, analyze your sport. And from there, you'll get all the info you need to structure your physical preparation. But if you don't have that data available, then you're kind of poking in the dark. And sure, you can use the data from the pros because it will look somewhat similar. But at the same time, will it? And in what aspect is it completely different? So I think, like you said, there's a lot of unanswered, unanswered questions still. But that's, what, that also, that's also what makes it so interesting. That's what makes it still a journey, right? Like exactly. Yeah, yeah. We're gonna make a lot of wrong steps, and it's that that's that'll be interesting to see the data that you get out of that because that that's so true. Because um, you you did uh, I think it was a, a pretty legendary post actually on your Instagram about, and it's something that I always harp on about the <laughs> the studies that they do of uh, what what rugby players actually go through in a game. Yeah, And the amount of times I'm telling people, like, it's 90 plus percent walking, standing still, or jogging very lightly. Mm. Why Why do you think running for three minutes nonstop as fast as you can is going to, or, or a circuit training for five minutes as fast as you can is going to bear any influence on what you're doing in rugby? And it's, you know, until you have those um, studies, until you have those, like, analysis of what you're spo- you're supposed to be doing you, you know you you would it would make it people would think it would probably make sense to do like circuit style training but mm. it's only when you see that and that, that post is used so i think that will be interesting to see what what the difference is because because so maybe didn't quite catch that. oh sorry i'm not talking to you siri go away <laughs> That was weird. <laughs> it's, um, <laughs> it's it's listening. It's listening. It, oh yeah, maybe maybe Siri can do. It. Oh, I said the name again. It's going to talk. Maybe it can uh, figure out what people do because it's it, it monitors people outside of rugby enough. So I don't know. Yeah, sorry. Where was I? That that's completely derailed me. Yeah. So about um, like because I think if anything people would walk and jog and, and uh, stand still more at an amateur level. So that would mean it would be even more aerobic, meaning, you know, you'd focus more on those high-intensity efforts and, and, and less on those uh, draining lactate stuff and the mass stuff, I think. But who knows? Because it might not be, because it might be that their they're high impact uh, and their high-intensity, uh, in, uh, like, bouts are just at a low enough intensity that they can keep repeating them more often. Or maybe there are some players, and I think this would be more interesting at an amateur level. There must be, like, across the board for, for a professional, the numbers are going to start to look more and more similar, right? Whereas mm-hmm. at an amateur level, you might have, like, five or so guys in, in every single team that pick up the load for everyone else. And I think that would be interesting to see because th- those people put a lot more in te- high-intensity effort in compared to you know there might be that one flanker that's there just because he's good at turnovers but he's really 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 unfit or the number eight that's a really good carrier but you get maybe four carries out of him a game <laughs> yeah it, it would be interesting to see and you know going back to your point of what might we see you know maybe we see even you know longer distances run per game per player because amateur players don't move as efficiently on the pitch as the pros do and maybe they do a big circle run instead of doing a straight line because they know where the ball is going to be in, you know, three seconds. Right, because they don't have that tactical or uh, skill prep, right? They have to be yeah, there, so, so they're more inefficient, yeah. Exactly. So so who knows what's going to come out and what we're going to see. But I think it, it, it will be interesting to then, again, draw the line between, okay, what's happening on the pitch and then what do we need to get ready for it? And, uh, again, hopefully try to devise preparatory methods that get us there with the least added cost possible from a general load and fatigue standpoint so that we can do as much rugby as possible. Yeah. And I think that, yeah, it's so, I think that's awesome what you're doing because it's really, 
like because you get a lot of strength and conditioning coaches that come in and they want to create a real professional environment but without realizing that you know the strength and conditioning coach might be a professional but the players are still all amateur um yeah you know and they don't see themselves as a professional they don't want to be a professional that's why like some of them i imagine like a good deal of like the talented players on a team could have been professional if they'd have uh, had the the effort levels of that but they don't so you have to treat people the way that like they are and i think that like people and, and i think you get it from like the eager players that maybe aren't as talented and they don't want to hear that they're not as talented it's a bit of a shot to the ego but like they want to do everything they can and they see the way that england rugby players train and they want to train like that without realizing that there's so much more underneath that those players have got to work towards that level before they're before they get there that that's the stuff you, you know what i mean that you, still they're so much further along in their journey that you then as an amateur doing what they were doing just wouldn't make any sense apart from yeah, the fact I mean, that that's what you've seen them do exactly i mean i think that's that's the worst thing you can do is look at what the pros are doing and then try to replicate that at any level right now it's 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 not you're not at that level you don't have the you know probably don't have the strength the capacity and all the skills involved to do that exact thing um i i, I get that quite a bit you know players send me exercises that they see or that they see pros doing and they're like oh can we do this are we doing that and sometimes i try and include it but only if it fits the the overall model of what i'm trying to do with them like you said and coming back to the previous point that you mentioned the you know we're trying to set up a, a professional structure in an amateur club it's so i think it's always going to be the the hard part of amateur sports um i i still do think that a more professionally run structure, even at the amateur level, is going to be beneficial for the guys in terms 100%. of just getting, you know, doing their sport and doing what they love on the weekend. I think the more efficient we can be, the you know, again, the better we can do our jobs as coaches, even within an amateur framework. What I'm trying to say is that just because you coach at an amateur level doesn't mean you can you can afford being an amateur coach. Is yes. what I'm saying. It's yeah, you have to work. You have you have to work the same with somebody who's completely new to the sport and wants to get better. Uh, I mean, with the same professional intent with someone who's completely new or with a professional player. Mm -hmm. Okay, the the what you do with them, the the content of the sessions and the duration and all the, the frequency and all that is going to change, but the effort that you put in as a coach has to be the same. Yeah. Otherwise, otherwise, who are you and what are you doing in this profession? And get the fuck out. Yeah, I. Couldn't agree with you more. Um, you know, my point was, I guess, was more into into the the players themselves and like realizing that there's so much effort that they can put in, but there's so, there's a lot less scope for them to put in the effort, especially as an amateur player, like that's got a day job with its own stresses and maybe a couple day jobs with all of their own stresses that they have to really try and take care of before they step onto the field which is that that you know to do the thing that they refer to as leisure you know it's it's something they do for fun in their own time that they they have no obligation to do they have no reason mm -hmm. to do it other than the fact that that's something that they choose to do because they enjoy it and mm -hmm. you you know you listening to this as an amateur uh, a player you know the listener like it's something that is that you really have to bear in mind that this is something that you're you're doing to enhance your life, to make it your life a better experience and to make it more enjoyable. So really make sure that, you know, you don't see it as a, a grind, that you see it as something that's enjoyable. I think that that um, something is something that the more you can enjoy it, like the better you're going to, like the better you're going to buy into it, the better player that you're going to be, the more you're going to enjoy it. And if we can get that cycle in motion, I mean, years down the line, it's you're going to be a completely different player and you're going to be you know, you've got to, you're going to have have got so much more out of the game because i think that's something that doesn't get talked about a lot is that the resentment that sometimes can build up through through rugby you know like there is a, a, a strong campaign with like sort of mental health awareness and all this sort of thing and the pressures mm -hmm. of amateur rugby is a thing and it's something that we don't talk about enough and something that again it's another lesson that we should probably start to um acknowledge a bit more but 
we can do that as coaches just by setting a more professional attitude and a more open environment for guys to really try and better themselves. Yeah, and, and to bounce back on your point, when I mean professional structure, it doesn't mean it's run like fucking army training and it's no fun no. and nobody's laughing. Like yesterday at the end of the, the prep session, we did, we did a, a little race, teams of two, one forward, one back. And the first 50 meters was the back was on the shoulders of the forward. And the second half was 50 meters with um, the back doing the wheelbarrow and the forward holding the feet. And then they turn around, they do it again, and we see who comes, you know, who comes yeah. first. And there was, you know, there was 35 so guys last night, and there was, I'd say, at least 30 smiles, you know? <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. there's a few guys that were not enjoying it, and there's guys that never smile, so it doesn't change anything. But there was, <laughs> there was a lot of smiles. And so, like you said, I think bringing bringing the fun, keeping the fun in the training and remembering why the guys are there, especially at the amateur level. So just because the training is effective doesn't mean that it has to be boring oh, or doesn't mean yeah. that you can't find the fun in it. And I think, like you said, that the challenge is also to set up a program that works, but then set up a program that's also fun to go through. Yeah. And I think that comes from being a professional. Like The, the more you can create that structure, you know, the more they can just show up, either, whether it's in the gym or on the pitch or whatever, and just work and like not have to worry about it, you know all their other stress like they don't know exactly what they've got to do and, yeah. and the more professional environment that's what it's about and when you're when yeah. you're working you can have fun like and you should be having fun because yeah. it's something you're choosing exactly but yeah yeah but but the, the structure doesn't mean you can't have fun right I, I find having structured training a certain way this year like i said and communicated with the players and each week i send out exactly what we're going to do in which order and what timing right, and i must love that well, they actually do because they know what they're getting into every day, right? Yeah. And they have, I, I find that, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with Joko uh, Willick when he talks yeah. about freedom, uh, discipline equals freedom. It's like, what do you need in order to enjoy things? You need everything that's around that thing to be stable so that you can actually focus on the thing that's fun, right? And so it's like a kid. It's like a kid growing up. The kid needs structure. The kid needs routine, needs a certain bedtime, needs a little routine before bed so that they fall asleep the same way every night because they have so many things to explore. They need a stable structure or, or base to work from in order to go get those new things or exciting things, right? Um, and I think it's the same at any level that you play at. If you want to do something new or do something fun, you need a certain amount of structure around it so, to support that fun. Yeah, not and to take so away I from feel the like farm. Exactly, exactly. So now that we know what we're doing and why we're doing it, now we can actually enjoy ourselves a little bit, you know? All the all the time and 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 mental effort that they would have had to take to be like, okay, what are we doing next? I don't know what's coming. I don't know what to get ready for. All that mental energy can now be turned into, okay, we know we're doing this, we know we're doing that after, and within that, I'm just going to do my thing, right? And at the end it feels I feel like this year training is a lot more relaxed overall not less dedicated and less serious, just, just the, the overall atmosphere is more, um, I don't know if poised is the right term, but just, it just feels focused, more f focused and almost more natural, less forced yeah. because the guy, there's, there's a lot less anxiety in the air of guys being like, what are we going to be hit with next? You know, it's like, no, no, we know what we're doing. We know why. And now we're just get on with it and, and have some fun in the process. Sean, this has been great, mate. This has been great. We could talk all day. I'm sure we'll get we you can. back on. Um, <laughs> I'm sure we'll get you back on. Where can uh, listeners find out more um, about you and what you do and uh, you know, get some learning? Because I'm sure they'll want to find out more after listening to this. Well, TJ, it was a pleasure coming on, man. It's, uh, it was great chatting with you. And like you said, um, happy to chat anytime. People can find me mostly on Instagram and uh, YouTube under Upside Strength. That's the name of my, my coaching company. So no just search problem. Upside Strength on Instagram and YouTube and you'll find a bunch of content there. This is, this is one of those podcasts where they'll be in the show notes, mate. We don't do too much right, but we put links in the show notes. That's about it. Cool. <laughs> that sounds good, good to me, man. All right. Um, this has been great. All right. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed that episode of the Robbie Muscle Podcast, then I've got a quick little request and a potential prize giveaway for you if you do said request. 
All I want you to do is go to Apple Podcasts and type up a five-star review. Just your general opinions of the podcast would be great feedback, but also helps us reach higher rankings, get more exposure, allow me to attract more guests and devote more time to developing a better all-around podcast experience for you. All you have to do once again is go and give us a five-star review on whatever podcast service you use. Let me know that you've got it. And then every single week, I'll be selecting one review to give away a free prize. That free prize will be either one free month of Team Rugby Muscle. That's our world-class shank condition program app delivered directly to your phone. Or if that doesn't interest you, then we've got one free consultation where I'll, I'll go over your training program, your nutrition, and advise you how to best plan for your goals. Even if none of those things interest you, it's still doing me a solid and helping the podcast grow by going and giving us a five-star review. There's no real excuse. It takes like one minute and that helps the show out exponentially. So I'd really appreciate if you could do that. Thank you guys so much for listening. I'll see you in the next one.